are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Girls, you made my morning over here. Um, I know the guys are all off camping, but they'll be back. But the fact is, you guys are here. I hope you're enjoying your fall break. And um, God knew long before today that we would be together in this room. And he has put a word in my heart to share with all of us. And God is here this morning in our presence. And he's going to talk to us today. You know, only a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Texas. My friend Jeffrey oversees about 80 churches, and he invited your former pastor, Dr. David Busick, and myself to spend three days uh, teaching and training pastors. And so we're doing everything we can to help Texas at this point. (laughs) It's a job. So David was teaching on preaching, what I'm attempting to do right now, except for what I said about Texas. That's not preaching, okay? And so he was talking to pastors about preaching, and here's what he said. He said, faithful preaching, all right, allows for mystery and transcendence. In other words, there's some things that we just don't understand in life, so don't explain them away. Uh, You would never say to a family... Who is burying a young child? You would never say this to them. Well, God needed an angel in heaven worse than you needed them here. He says if you say that, you're, com- you're, you're at that point, you're committing pastoral malpractice. Your license should be taken away for that. The truth is, there are some things that we just don't know. We don't understand. We don't have answers for. We know that suffering is real, but there's so much about suffering that we can't understand in this life, Right? So why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. There's some questions I don't have answers for. What we know is that storms come into our lives. And when storms come into our lives, they tend to come out of nowhere. You're moving along through life at a pretty good pace, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a storm, there's a cloud over your family. And you feel like, man, I'm in the midst of a storm right now. Where did that come from? And you're hunkering down and you're just hoping the storm will pass before too long and that God will bring you through the storm. And so I hear this story all the time. Somebody will say to me, Pastor Rick, we were just going along. Life seemed to be pretty normal. And all of a sudden, there was a sickness that I was diagnosed with. I mean, it was out of nowhere. Dark cloud now hanging over our family. We're all in the midst of a major life storm. We're hunkered down. We don't know how long it's going to last. We're just praying that God gets us through this storm. And for others, it might be like about a relationship. And for others, it might be about like a a loss in your family. For others, it might be about finances. Some of you are saying, stop. You don't have to say anymore. I know what you're talking about. We're in a storm right now. It just came out of nowhere. There's a dark cloud hanging over my family. We're living in it today. We're hunkering down. And we're just praying that God gets us through this storm. David said something that I wanted to share with you. He said, nobody gets comforted 
into transformation. It's just not the way it works. We don't get comforted into transformation. The opposite is true. When God changes us, when God does His best work in our hearts, when God helps us to become more like Jesus, it's often when we're going through the really tough times in life, right? So I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story. Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, listen to me, my friend. I would not wish this sickness on anybody But let me tell you something. I would not want to be the person I was before I got sick ever again. It was in this sickness that God changed me. It was in this sickness that God did His best work in my heart. I don't want to wish this on anybody, but I don't want to ever be the person I was before I got sick. Because it was in the storm that God changed me. God doesn't waste anything. Even when you go through bad times, hard times, God says, I can bring some good out of this. I can not only get you through the storm, but I can do something in your heart as well. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. What do you believe about the storms? In other words, what do you believe about Jesus in the storms? What do you believe about getting through the storms? And what do you believe about what happens when you're in the storm? So what if I said this to you today, okay? What if I said Jesus has authority over the storms that come rolling into our lives? When the dark clouds come in and hang over, when you find yourself in the midst of a really tough time, when you're hunkered down saying, I don't know how long it's going to take to get through this storm. What if I just told you, you know what? Jesus has authority over those storms that come rolling into your life. Jesus has the power to calm the storm. Jesus has the power to calm you. There is no storm in your life that is outside the realm of Jesus' authority. You're not by yourself when you're in the storm. So, if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, I want to share with you a story from verse 23, okay? Matthew is trying to say to his readers who are Jewish, this is your Messiah, he is going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, and he has authority to do so. So let me share the story with you. So one day, Jesus is in Capernaum. And he heals this centurion's servant. You remember the story last week? And then he talks to some people about what it means to be a disciple. And then he says, we're going to get in a boat and we're going to go to the other side of the lake. So he got in the boat and his disciples followed him. And then suddenly there was this furious storm. And it came upon the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a storm where waves were sweeping over the boat. But that's a pretty scary storm. But Jesus was sleeping. You can tell Jesus is not afraid, right? The disciples went and they woke him. And here's what they said to him, okay? And you can imagine. They're shaking Jesus. And they're saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And here's what Jesus said to the disciples. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now here's what happens. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. All right? And it was completely calm. 
Now, now wait a minute. You're, you're telling me that Jesus gets up because he's been asleep, and they're saying, come on, man, you got to do something. You know, we're going to drown. And Jesus just says, be still. And in that moment, the whole storm just stops. Now, let me ask you, is that your Jesus? In other words, is that the kind of power that your Jesus has? Do you believe that's what Jesus can do? So let's, let's dig in together, okay? Um, I have a friend who um, offered me a book a while back. He said, I know you got to go to Israel, and um, there's a Catholic priest who wrote a book about his trip to Israel, and I thought you might enjoy it. And so I, I thought I'd share it with you. And so I opened the book a few days ago, and I began to read, and he reminded me, the author did, about our third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, I hadn't thought of this for a long time. He, he kind of jogged my memory, and so I went digging. I thought, I've I got to find out more about this. And so I started doing some research, and here's what Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, actually did. He found himself standing over the New Testament with a pair of scissors and a razor blade. And he began to meticulously cut out sections of the New Testament. And he would lift that little clipping, all right, from the New Testament. And finally, those clippings would find their home on a new page. He glued many clippings onto page after page after page. In fact, 84 pages. He binds it into a red leather book. And he calls it the moral teaching of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what he does. He determines that he will not put in his New Testament anything about the supernatural. He said he found it over the top. And he said he found it an insult to reason. And so in Thomas Jefferson's New Testament, there's nothing about the resurrection. There's nothing about the ascension. There's nothing about any miracle that Jesus performed like walking on water or turning water into wine or raising a girl from the dead or healing a man with leprosy or calming a storm. None of that's in his Bible. What Thomas Jefferson actually does is he creates his own Jesus. The Jesus in the New Testament, I find a bit offensive. He's a bit over the top. I think he's an insult to reason. And so what I'm going to do is create a Jesus that is much more palatable to me. I think I like my Jesus better than I like the one in the New Testament. And so I'm reading this. And, and I really ask myself a heart question. Have I ever been tempted to create my own Jesus? You know? Have you ever noticed that Jesus and the New Testament seems a little bit exclusive as to who gets to enter the kingdom of heaven? Maybe if we had a Jesus who was a little more inclusive, that would be nice. The Jesus in the New Testament seems to be kind of hard on some religious people, right? 
Maybe if we could create a Jesus that was a little more kind in some of his language, right? The Jesus of the New Testament has all of this power. And sometimes when I think about all of his power, I struggle to reconcile all of that power when I look around my world today. Maybe, maybe we could create a Jesus that's a little more palatable today and that is a little more in line with reason. I, I don't know. Have you, have you ever in your life, have you ever been tempted to create your own Jesus? Like Jefferson did. I want you to hold on to the thought. Because we're going to come back to it in a moment. I want to get you back into Matthew here. Because what Matthew does is he says that Jesus now is in Capernaum. And he has decided that he's going to cross to the other side of the lake. Which was a typical way of travel. Let me show you a map. I'll show you what I mean. Okay. So this is a map of the Sea of Galilee. This is the region of the Sea of Galilee. Okay. So. When I was in Israel in the summer, I was staying very near Magdala. So let's say that uh, I want to go over to Bethsaida, and I'm in Jesus' day. Now, these roads exist, but they're very mountainous. I mean, it takes a long time to get around. So I was in a bus. We drove around on a bus on this mountainous terrain, and we finally got over here to the Bethsaida area. In Jesus' day, they didn't have a bus. They walked everywhere they went. And so they said, well, it makes a lot more sense just to get in a boat, set the sail, and just sell across the sea. Why would we take all of this time to travel and to walk all of this mountainous terrain when you can just get in a boat and cross over? So if you lived in the region of Galilee, it made a lot of sense in Jesus' day just to cross over the sea when you were traveling in the region. It was very common. Everybody did this. Now let me show you a familiar picture. What is this? Lake Hefner. So it's familiar to everybody that lives here in Oklahoma City, right? You can see the shore on the other side. You say, I've never been to Galilee, but I've been to Lake Hefner. Does that count? I think it counts. So can you compare the two? I think this is helpful because, let me tell you, the size of Lake Hefner is 2,500 yards. 2,500 yards. 2,500 yards, okay? Let me show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 40,000 I said yards, I meant to say acres. Please forgive me. That would be a very small lake. That's a pond. Hefner is 2,500 acres. The Sea of Galilee is 40,000 acres. 17 times larger. You're beginning to get the picture. If you're at Hefner, you might walk around. But if you're in Galilee, you might say, I'm here at Capernaum. This is where Jesus got into the boat. In the passage we're talking about today, I stood on these rocks right here. It looks just like this. Jesus got into a boat right here on this shore. He said, we want to go over here to Bethsaida. The best way for me to get over there is just to take a boat. And so that's what he does. Now, you see the mountain ranges? Some of the mountains, like Mount Hermon, rises 2,600 feet above the level of the lake. It's not really a sea, it's a lake. When you're out on the Sea of Galilee, and I was, you can see all the shore all the way around, okay? And so some of these mountains rise 26 feet, 100, 2,600 feet above. Here's what happens. Cool air comes over the mountains. These valleys that you see act like giant funnels. The air is compressed in the funnel. By the time it hits the lake, it is violent. It creates an instant storm. Sometimes the storm creates 
waves that are over seven feet tall on this small lake. So I'm talking about, I'm six feet tall, seven feet tall, a feet foot over my head. So if you're in a small fishing boat, you can imagine, that's why Matthew says the waves were coming over the boat, okay? Now here's what just amazes me. And this is the scripture I showed you a moment ago. He got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Is that your Jesus? What if? What if there's really a bigger story? What if this story that I'm sharing with you this morning is really part of a bigger story? What do you mean a bigger story, Rick? I mean, what if Matthew is telling you this story, but it's really part of a much greater story, and the greater story is about the fact that Jesus has authority? Because in this section we're in with Matthew, that's what happens. Chapter 7, at the very end of the chapter, it says the crowds were amazed because Jesus spoke as one who had authority. They never heard a teacher teach like this. Matthew uses the word over and over for a reason. He's trying to make a point with the centurion. The centurion says, I'm a man with authority. I say to this person, go, and they go. Jesus, you don't have to go to my servant. Just say the word because you have authority over diseases. And when you get to chapter 9, Jesus says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, has to forgive sins. And here now you see Jesus with authority over the elements. He says to the wind and the waves, be calm, and everything gets calm. So here's what I'm thinking with you, okay? And I want you to think with me. You say, Rick, you've come in this morning, you know, and, um, and you've kind of gotten up and you've said, you know, sometimes we have storms in life. And then you said that Jesus has authority over those storms that come rolling into our lives. And then you tell this story about Thomas Jefferson creating his own Jesus. Come on, Rick, what are you, what are you trying to do? What's on your mind? What are you trying to say? So N.T. Wright, a great New Testament theologian, asked the question, and we'll use his words because I like his really well. Do we actually treat Jesus as if he's got authority over every aspect of our lives and our world? And I think it has to get personal here. I think you have to substitute the pronoun. And you have to right now, everybody in the room say, do I actually treat Jesus as if he's got authority over every aspect of my life and my world? Do I really believe that Jesus has authority over the storm that I'm in right now? Tell me about your Jesus. Does he have any power? Or is he like Jefferson's Jesus? He's just a good teacher. Because if your Jesus doesn't have any power, I don't want anything to do with him. Because I'm a pastor of a church, and in my church today, there are people who are fighting cancer and other sicknesses, and I need a Jesus who can heal them. Because in my church, there are marriages that are coming apart and I need a Jesus who can put relationships back together. And in my church, there are people who are battling addictions. 
And I need a Jesus who can free people from addictions. And in my church, there are people who are losing this battle with sin. Sin is dominant in their lives. Sin has dominion over them. And I need a Jesus who can set people free from sin. And so if your Jesus doesn't have any power, I don't need your Jesus. So tell me what your Jesus is like. You know, once in a while, once in a while, not, not, not the staff, not the pastors, but the people who attend the church, once in a while, they get busy and they get on the phones and they get to saying, I think we should have a prayer meeting. I think we should pray. I'll never forget the morning of September the 11th, 2001. Will you? Planes crash into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon and we don't know what's going to happen next. We're all afraid. And you know what happens? The phone starts ringing at the church. And everybody that called said, Hey, Pastor, can we pray? Can we get together and pray? Can we have a prayer meeting tonight? And I said, Yes, we should. And so sure enough, boy, 6 o'clock didn't come soon enough. And the parking lot just filled up with cars at 6 o'clock. And we all filled our sanctuary. And there were just hundreds and hundreds of people in there praying. We need to pray. Sometimes it happens when we get news that somebody's been fatally maybe killed or sometimes we learn about somebody who's really sick. And uh, I remember not too long ago, we met in room 100 a couple of months ago, a whole bunch of us. Uh, You couldn't even get in the room. It was so crowded. People were sitting on the floor all around the room. And we were all praying for somebody that we love very much to get well, to get healed. But I didn't call the prayer meeting. No, not me. It was people like you saying, hey, do you think we could pray? They were getting on Facebook saying, let's pray. They were saying, we're going to meet at the church tonight and pray. I think we should pray. I think we really need God to help us. I think sometimes we're at our best when we're in that mode. When we realize we can't, we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix our situation. We realize there's a storm in our lives and, and right now, it just came out of nowhere, and there's a cloud over all of us, and, and, and we're just hunkering down, you know, wanting God to get us through the storm. I can't save myself from this storm. I need God's help. I love it when we do that, when we all get together and say, we ought to pray is what we ought to do. We should be praying. We should be calling on God because we need God right now. And that's where the disciples find themselves. Literally, they were in over their heads. The, the waves were over their heads, right? What are we going to do? Let's call out to Jesus. And so that's what they do. You're in your best moment when you realize, I need Jesus. Let me tell you something. When the very foundation of our souls are shaken, Jesus will hear you pray. I'm telling you. And so I think the to-do part of the sermon is really easy. It's simply this. Call out to Jesus during the most turbulent times of your life. It's okay. In fact, it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. When you're going through the storm, call out to Jesus. He wants you to. He invites you to. In His Word, He asks you to. Just call unto me. I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things. look over here at this awesome, impressive group of girls who've just been on this retreat together, and I think about Katie. Katie 
attended the church that Annette and I were in for years down in Tennessee. Katie was diagnosed with cancer. It was the bad stuff. It was where doctors are, you know, never talking about cures. They're just talking about, let's try something, you know. She was going through some of the toughest chemo I've ever seen anybody go through. It it brought her just, it, it, it just, it just, it was awful what it did to her body. Her hair's gone. She weighs hardly anything. She's just kind of a, kind of a skeleton of a person. I remember she got to come home from the hospital, and and one day. Uh, I just felt like I should drive out. They lived they lived a ways away from the church, but they were very much part of our church. And I drove out to her house, and somebody had made a cake and dropped it by, and we had cake together. And I don't remember if they offered or if I asked for a piece, but we had a piece of cake. It's hard to remember all the details. It was years ago. Um, I remember not wanting to leave. I remember feeling really relaxed. It was just her and her mom and me. And we talked for probably a half hour. I remember it so well because it was one of those thin places in life. It was a moment where it felt like heaven and earth were very close together. The veil that separated them was only a sheer. You know what I mean? Like God was near. You didn't want to leave that environment, that place, that moment. I remember when I finally got in my car to drive away, I, I took my flip phone out of my pocket. This was in the late 90s. And I called Annette. And uh, I was emotionally wrecked. And I said, Annette, they see something we don't see. They're not where we are. They have faith that we don't have. In their journey with God, they're way out there. We're, we're way back here. They're so far in front of us. They, they, they grasp things that, that I can't grasp. Their understanding and that about God and faith is, is out in front of me. They're somewhere I am not and I have never been in my life. I felt like their faith was huge and I felt like my faith was small it's really the story I'm reading to you today as well don't you think it's interesting that Jesus even Jesus admits they have a little faith he says okay you have little faith you got a little you don't have a lot but you got a little you know you've got some He compares them to the centurion in the other passage. He gets it. You guys don't get it. I haven't seen faith like his in all of Israel. He's talking to the disciples there, all right? He's got big faith. You guys have little faith. He has understanding you guys don't have. He grasps what you don't grasp. He's way out there. You're way back here. He sees things you haven't yet seen. He gets it. You don't get it. He's got big faith, you've got little faith. But what happens when Jesus calms the storm? Listen to the words again, okay? 
What kind of man is this, they said. All of a sudden, eyes are open. Faith is born in their hearts. Even the winds and the waves obey Him. And all of a sudden, they begin to see something they haven't seen before. Now, you knew it was coming. You just didn't know when it was going to come, right? You knew I was going to say it. You just didn't know when I was going to say it because I say it every time in this series. Look at this. Now to Him who is able to do far more, abundantly beyond all that we would ask or think. What happens to these disciples? They call out to Jesus and they ask for something. They say, Jesus, will you save us? They ask Him to save them, but beyond saving them, He does far more, abundantly beyond. He increases their faith. He says, I'm going to let you see something you've never seen before. I'm going to let you believe something you've never believed before. I'm going to let you grasp hold of something you've never grasped hold of before. I'm going to help you understand something that you never knew And all of a sudden, revelation takes place. And they realize this is not just a teacher. This is not just a Messiah. But God has entrusted all authority to Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He can do anything. Listen to this. He even has authority over those storms that come rolling into your life. It's not outside his realm. Reading a new guy for me just this week, his name's Andrew Root, and here's what he says. He says, we live now in America in a secular age. I hate those words. We live in a secular age where divine action seems unbelievable. So what do you mean? Root is saying we just live in a world today where people don't really believe that God's involved. It's a Jefferson kind of day. Just cut out all the supernatural. God's just off in distance. We're pretty much on our own. When I read those words... I begin to contrast them to a phone call that I will have this afternoon after lunch with my mother because I call her every Sunday. And this little 83-year-old saint will tell me about how God has answered another prayer in her life. And I'll put the phone back in my pocket and I'll look over to Nett and I'll say, he's done it again. God's answered another one of mama's prayers, you know. And she just says to me, Ricky, can you believe it? That he loves us so much, that he's so involved in our lives, that he's just answering prayer all the time. Look what God's done this week. I don't want Jefferson's Jesus. I want my mama's Jesus. I want a Jesus that has power. I want a Jesus who can have Authority over the storms that come rolling into our lives. And who can bring us through. So some of you said, we didn't sing much today. Well, we're going to sing now. That's our desire. So the band's going to come up. And Chad's not able to be with us today. His little girl Lillian is sick, so we'll pray for Lillian this morning. 
But Chad just said, I, I kind of envision you preaching this sermon and then there being another 15 minutes or so where we can just be in God's presence together. And where people can just stand and sing and worship. And where maybe people could go to one another and say, would you pray for me or can I pray for you? Or would people would be free to go to the altar and then go back and other people would feel free to go to the altar and then go back? Or would people would feel free to sit down or stand or kneel? And just maybe could we for like 15 minutes or so, could we just worship Jesus together? And for people who are going through a storm, Rick, it just rolled in out of nowhere. Never dreamed I would be here. Dark cloud hanging over my life today. We're in the middle of it, hunkered down, wondering when it's going to pass. Is God going to bring us through? For people who are in a storm, maybe they could just turn to Jesus, call out to Him. I know He'll hear them pray. So that's what we're going to do. So why don't we just stand together? Let's worship Him together. For these next 15 minutes or so, let's be in His presence. God may say to you, go to a brother or a sister. Put your arm around them. Pray for them. Go to a brother or sister. Ask them to put their arm around you and pray for you. Be in His presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.